Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we contemplate this gift of peace, you give us not only understanding, but Lord, uh, breathe into us the, the deep and the living truths as we find them in your word, that they may take root in our hearts and transform our lives for our good and for your glory. Lord, fill us with your spirit now. Guard and protect our hearts as we come together under the authority of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. The Apostle Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." may be seated. So one of the gifts that Jesus came to bring is the gift of peace. But for many, the the promise of peace feels a little bit hollow because what we experience in the world just doesn't seem to line up with the peace that is promised. We look around or we turn on the news and we see a world torn by political divisions and polarizing issues, a world groaning under the burden of ongoing hostility and senseless acts of hatred and violence, a world marred by perpetual conflict and war. And it all just seems so out of sync with the promise of peace. The rock band U2 gave voice to this dissonance in their song uh, many years ago, their song, Peace on Earth. The song says, sick of sorrow, I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. We hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? And it's a fair question, isn't it? It's a question that many of us wrestle with, whether we voice it or not. And as we look to our text this morning, there are a number of observations we can make about 
peace. I, when I began uh, my study on this, I had like 10 of them. I'm not going to give you 10. I'm just, I've whittled it down, thankfully, to just four. So four things from our text that will give us, I think, a deeper understanding of the peace that Christ came to bring. So we see first that the peace of Christ, the peace that he brings, is a cosmic peace. It is a peace that touches all created things in the totality of the universe. I mean, throughout, this is one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. And throughout this text, it's as if Paul is searching for words that are high enough to capture the supremacy of Christ and the scope of his work, both in creation and in redemption. Really, verses 15 through 17 focus on creation. Verses 18 through 20 focus on redemption. But uh, Paul's use of the Greek word pas, that simple word P-A-S, pas, which means all or every, is excessive in these verses, almost to the point of embarrassment. He uses that little word eight times in six verses. Let me run uh, run through the uses with you. Christ is, Paul says, the firstborn over all creation. In him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And in him all things hold together so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself, number eight, all things. The Christ that we meet in these verses is a cosmic Christ. The one in whom and through whom and for whom all things were made and the one in whom all things hold together which means that he is sort of the the glue of the entire universe. Without his sustaining presence and word, the whole created universe would disintegrate. Without him, the stars wouldn't hang in the sky and and planets wouldn't stay in their orbit and, and electrons wouldn't make their circuit around nuclei. Without him, the flowers wouldn't lift up their petals in holy, in holy praise, that the beetles wouldn't walk, the eagles wouldn't soar, babies wouldn't breathe, and butterflies wouldn't dance on the wind. He sustains everything, every breath and every branch and every snowflake and every created thing in the totality of the universe. As the writer of Hebrews said, the sun, uh, in words that really are, are Parallel to here in Colossians, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. By his word, by by his breath, by his presence, all things in the created universe are sustained. They endure at his command. But here in Colossians, we see that Christ is even more than just the sustainer of all creation. He is, in fact, its very rationale. He is its rhyme and reason. He is the basic operating principle controlling all of existence. And so when when we read these verses, if we have a spiritual pulse, we, we cannot come away from them without having a profound sense that our vision of Christ has so often been far too small. And it's out of this, this sort of this, this cosmos encompassing supremacy of Christ that the gift of peace is given. For Paul says 
that God was pleased. And so after all this, this stacking of this excessive language of supremacy, it's out of that that Paul says God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The peace that Christ gives is a cosmic peace that is in all creation encompassing peace, a peace that restores harmony to all that has been broken in the totality of the universe. We cannot think high enough about the peace of Christ. See, the peace that Christ gives then touches not only fallen humanity, but but all of creation that has been sort of dragged down into dysfunction on the coattails of human sin. The moth hobbling along on the ground with crippled wings. The lion fighting off a pack of hyenas that are trying to devour its cub. The landscape disfigured by reckless urbanization. Paul said in Romans 8 that creation is in bondage to decay and its groaning is in the pains of childbirth, groaning under the weight of human sin, waiting for its redemption and restoration in Christ. That's what the peace of Christ brings. It is a cosmic peace, a peace that restores harmony and order to all of creation. Number two, the peace that Christ gives is a reconciling peace. Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through his blood. Now, to reconcile, we we, we know that we use that word often, but the the technical definition to reconcile means to reestablish relations that have been disrupted or broken. It is to make things right, to, to bring together what has been separated, what has been torn apart. To reconcile is to bring together again. In the Bible, reconciliation has really two main dimensions. The first is the vertical dimension, which is reconciliation between God and his people. We see this in Colossians 1, verses 21 to 22, right after uh, the text that we read this morning. Paul says, once you were alienated from God and hostile in mind, there's that separation, there's that, that chasm doing evil deeds, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusations. So what was separated, what was torn apart by sin has now been brought together through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is the vertical Dimension. The second main dimension of reconciliation in the Bible is the horizontal dimension, which is reconciliation among fellow believers. We see this in Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 16, where Paul says that he, that is Christ himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups, and the two groups here are Jews and Gentiles, who had a really long and sordid history of, of rivalry and hatred and tension and bitterness and, and separation and, and antagonism and, and just the, the, you couldn't hardly get any more farther apart than the Jews and the Gentiles. But Christ has made these two vastly separated groups one 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. So in reconciling each group to God through the cross, they were then reconciled, brought together as well. For those who have been purchased for God through the precious blood of Jesus, there is a bond that runs deeper than any division or any hostility. And so reconciliation in the Bible is almost always, almost always one of, the, you know, one of these two dimensions, the vertical dimension or the horizontal dimension, reconciliation between God and sinners or between fellow believers. But here in Colossians, we see a reconciliation that goes beyond these typical dimensions. It is a reconciliation that touches all of creation, which again flows out of the supremacy of Christ that Paul has been talking about. So Paul says this, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And the reference to things in heaven typically means uh, the, the spiritual forces of evil, so the powers, the rulers, the authorities, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms by making peace through his blood. Now, this is a, a rather shocking thing for Paul to say. And I'll try to give you the, the short version because much ink has been spilled over what Paul means here. He does not mean, he cannot mean universal, universalism, universal salvation because Paul elsewhere so clearly uh, teaches against that. So here's the, the short version. What Paul is saying here, I believe, and along with many other uh, scholars, is that through the death of Christ on the cross, God has brought his entire rebellious creation back under the rule of his sovereign power. And so, in other words, Paul is saying that all things will be put right, that, that God's elect will be saved, and, and, and the creation that is groaning will be restored and the enemies of God who reject Christ and oppose his people will be, will be put in their place and rendered incapable of vandalizing shalom again. And so as one theologian said, the reconciling peace of Christ is not a peace among equals. It, 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 not everybody experiences peace in the same way. Some have this, this joyful, you know, this, this joyful, harmonious peace as they receive Christ. Others, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of this submission against their will to the power of Christ as the supreme king. And so this theologian says, the reconciling peace of Christ is not a peace among equals, but one forcefully brought about by a triumphant victor. The peace of Christ is a reconciling peace. That brings us to number three. The gift of peace that Christ gives is a distinctively Christ-centered peace. It is a peace that is accomplished only, at least the, the peace that we typically talk about, the peace you know, between uh, God and sinners and the peace between fellow believers is a peace accomplished only for those who are in Christ. Uh, Luke in his gospel tells us that some shepherds were keeping watch over their flocks at night and, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And the angel announced to them the good news of great joy that the Savior Jesus had been born. And then Luke says that a great company of angels appeared with that angel praising God. And what did the, those, that great company of angels say? Well, Luke says 
that they praised God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And it's so critical to get that wording right because it has been misunderstood and misinterpreted and mistaken in so many different ways across the years. You see, the angels did not come announcing a a blanket promise of peace on earth like so many have said over the years. In fact, like we sang about in that song, that's the common translation, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's not what the scripture says. They didn't come announcing a blanket promise of peace on earth. They announced a peace for those on whom God's favor rests. And so on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor rests, a peace that is uniquely and exclusively for those who would receive the gift of the Son, a peace for those chosen by God from the foundation of the world, for it is only um, to believers that God's favor uniquely rests. This also explains then why Jesus said, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. And what Jesus was talking about in the context was that either rejecting him or receiving him. And so he was saying that the sword of division and hostility would separate those who believe in Christ from those who reject him. For whoever disowns me, he said, I will disown before my Father in heaven. You see, that there is no peace for those who are not in Christ. And this is why Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem when he made his way toward the city and riding on the donkey in the triumphal entry. And he got, he was on the Mount of Olives and he, below he could see the city of Jerusalem sprawled out and he saw it and he began to weep because he knew that the people of Jerusalem had rejected him and that they were going to crucify him and they would never know the peace that could have been theirs. And so with tears in his eyes, he said, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, they didn't see it. They didn't see that the peace that they so deeply craved is found in Christ alone. Many years ago, a South American company purchased a printing press from the United States, and it had, after it had been shipped and assembled, the, the workmen put it together, and they, they couldn't get it to work. And so they brought in some experts to try to get it running, but nothing they tried, and nobody who came in could, could do anything to fix it. It just it, it wouldn't work. And so they were, of course, really angry and upset that they had spent all this money to, to purchase this expensive printing machine, and, and it wouldn't work. And so they, they wired an urgent message to the company in America that made the machine, asking them to send somebody to fix it. And when the company in America got the message, they, they could sense the urgency in the request, and so they decided to send the best person for the job, which is the man who had designed the machine. And he had worked with this machine from the very beginning. He knew it inside and out. He knew everything about the machine. And so if anybody could fix it, it was him. And so they sent him to South America. And when he arrived on the scene, the officials at the South American company were even more upset because he was so young. And they thought to themselves, well, how could this, this rookie possibly fix this machine when all of the experts that we brought in were unable to fix it? And so they sent another message back to the company in America and said, the man you sent is too young. Send somebody else with more experience. And the company in America sent back this reply. 
He made the machine. He can fix it. That's all they said. He made the machine. He can fix it. Well, that's really the message here in Colossians, that that Christ is the one by whom and for whom and, and through whom the entire universe was made and the one in whom all things hold together. He is the one who made it, and he alone can fix it. The peace that the world most desperately needs is a distinctively, uniquely, exclusively Christ-centered peace. As the prophet Isaiah said, there is no peace for the wicked. And so too, the New Testament affirms there is no peace. At least if this peace, the kind of peace that we deeply crave, there is no peace for those who reject Christ. And what this means then for us is that in a world so torn by division and hostility, a world so desperate for peace, the the best thing that we can do is to share the gospel, is to be about the business of making disciples because it is only in Christ that true peace is found. It's only as people come together under the cross of Christ that the wounds of division are healed and the dividing wall of hostility is torn down. That's one of the things that I so appreciated about George Device, the, the device and their ministry in Ukraine is, is their, their work of reconciliation and their work of bringing peace, but it is a exclusively and distinctively and, and passionately Christ-centered peace because they recognize that there is no peace apart from Christ. The peace that Christ came to bring is a distinctively Christ-centered peace. And finally, number four, the peace that Christ came to bring is an already but not yet peace. It is a peace that has already been accomplished. Paul says in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, justified, that legal sense of having our, the, 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 the punishment, the penalty of our sin paid for that has been accomplished through the Death of Jesus Christ on the cross, it's in the past, it is done, it is finished, it's the finished work of justification. Therefore, since that we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For believers, we have already attained peace with God. It's already been accomplished, it has already happened. As Paul says in our text, it has been accomplished through the blood of Christ shed on the cross. That historical event that is done and over, finished, complete. But the gift of peace is also a gift that is not yet fully realized. Though our peace with God has already been attained, the full picture of peace in the world is still to come. And Paul conveys this not yet aspect of peace in Romans 8 when he says that the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That is, for the the fullness of redemption in God's people to be accomplished. The full number of people to be brought into saving God's saving embrace. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The world is still suffering and straining under the burden imposed by human, sin, by human sin, still waiting for the kingdom of peace to be fully realized when Christ returns. And the apostle John was given a vision of this fully realized kingdom of peace, and in his vision, which is recorded in Revelation 21, he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. 
and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The gift of peace that Christ came to bring is a gift that is already accomplished but not yet fully realized. And this explains the dissonance that we so often feel and the dissonance that you two sang about in their song, Peace on Earth, sick of sorrow, I'm sick of the pain, I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Well, well, Jesus did come to bring the gift of peace. And it is a peace that has already been given, but it has not yet been fully realized. And so we wait with patience and with confident expectation for the kingdom of peace to reach its final chapter. On April 15, 1912, the Titanic infamously descended into the frigid waters of the North Atlantic. And one of the most grievous realities of that tragic night is the fact that so many more people could have been saved. There were 18 lifeboats that night, and almost all of them remained half empty. The people chose to leave the drowning behind for fear that trying to get them into the boats would endanger their own lives. And so of the 18 lifeboats, only one made any real effort to help those who were drowning. And that tragic scene, I think, is in some ways a sort of parable of the world in which we live. A world unraveled by sin where things are not as they should be. And we're fallen, humanity is adrift on an unfriendly sea. This is a world that needs to be put right again. A world that, that needs the peace of Christ. My prayer for us this Advent season is that we may treasure the gift of peace that he has given and that it may compel us to live as ambassadors of peace in the world. May we not be like those 17 lifeboats that turned a blind eye to the brokenness around them. Let us go to the broken places with the healing power of the gospel. If you've done someone wrong, go to them and make it right. If you see garbage in the ditch somewhere, go there and pick it up. All of these are expressions of, of peacemaking in the world. If you need forgiveness, seek forgiveness from the one you've wronged. If you've been wronged, go to that person to seek restitution. Let us strive to be peacemakers in every sphere of existence going to the broken places with the healing power of the gospel. This is what many of you have done uh, for our family the past uh, couple of weeks, and we are so, have been so immensely blessed by your peacemaking efforts through words, through prayers, through visits, through food, through cards, and through notes of encouragement. You have been peacemakers to us. Let us go wherever shalom has been disrupted with the peace of Christ to the glory of God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, our world 
is a world that is aching for peace. May we treasure, O Lord, the gift of peace that Christ has come to bring. And may we be ambassadors of peace as we follow him and going, O Lord, to all the places, the broken places of the world where shalom has been vandalized and disrupted. And pray, O Lord, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer and response that you would fill us with your spirit, O Lord. Minister to us. If we are in need of peace this morning, may your spirit breathe it into us. May we see and experience and feel the peace of Christ. And may you compel us, O Lord, to go to broken places around us with the healing power of the gospel. Lord, hear our silent prayers this morning. Oh, Lord, what a deep and powerful mystery that you were pleased to have all your fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to yourself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Lord, we can't even begin to fully comprehend the cost, the extravagance of the gift of peace that has been accomplished through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. But Lord, give us a glimpse of it. Let us feel a little bit more the weight of it, the beauty of it this morning. And as we ponder it, O Lord, may you compel us by your spirit living in us to go out into the world as peacemakers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.